0: Hello, and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on Station KALA. Our noted guest for the 424th show is Dr. Nancy Priester-Hayes, who will be talking to us about her paper, Precarious Paradise, Toolsboro, Iowa. Our history buffs for today's show are Jay Swords and Ed Broders. And Ed, being that you are an expert on in the environment and the prairie, you get to start us off this time.
1: Thanks, John. I'll try to live up to all that. Um, Keep working, at Nancy, it, Nancy, um, I have a couple of questions. One is, you restored this prairie what was it before that um and the other question is when i heard your poetry i heard about a lot of plants but i didn't hear anything about any animals birds butterflies bugs um is that yet to come
2: if you like it certainly can <laughs> <laughs> Sounds
0: like a great introduction <laughs> ed you guys must have talked that was a setup no but i'm just <laughs> kidding please do so um
2: Yes, of course, the critters are very important to me, and um, what I really noticed um, often was um, the aftermath of some terrible slaughter. <laughs> um, oh. so I have, I have, but then some of them were very sweet. So, the um, hummingbird um, almost demise, for example, but um, often it had to do with a hawk swooping in and and grabbing a bunny. Um, That was kind of... But also I've got a lot of... I have some bird deaths um, that uh, happened um, by either a larger bird or somehow the the sadness of flying into our, our windows and not surviving. So I do have a lot of that sort of thing, and I don't know... Maybe, um, this is kind of a an interesting thing to to share um it's more of a prose poem, so it sounds more like uh okay, let me see if this is which one would be the best here um, oh okay, no, no, I think i will i'll I'll read this is what's interesting is that in the winter with the snow, you can track these animals and you can see sometimes um interesting um, remains of some um, massacres. Um, So I really um, picked up on those. But this one is called Thinking Wild in January. So new snow tufts the grass paths around and through the prairie. Southwest winds bandy seas of tensile blue stem. Shaggy Canada wild rye. So I'm doing the plants here. Bob along (laughs) inside paths off white against red gold blues. Switchgrass and all these are my favorite plants. Leaves spiral straw bright in the breeze, their spray against much taller, by or trifurcated bluestem culms, lords of this tall grass prairie. But on our walk this morning, we concentrated on critter paths, matted down, six inch wide miniature highways running the length of our human five foot trails actually longer, as they enter and exit from woodland networks to the north, from a token acre of state-sponsored prairie to the east, and a stand of walnut trees, American cranberry and brush to the west, a windbreak along our neighbor's field. The critter trails, smooth, hardened by frost, form arteries down the people paths, about a foot in from the prairie's edge. No foot, claw, paw, or hoof track traffic at, that, at the moment. They avoid us. Who are they? Where are they? When do they ply their well-worn ways? Every so often, perpendicular secondary roots emerge from woods and and brush, crisscross the main paths, disappear into the dense grasses. I imagine critters peek out from grass of brush, brush cover, assess the wisdom of accessing their little roads. Are we so different? They, too, encounter trouble from time to time. Evidence this morning, the fresh kill in the prairie clearing, where our inner paths intersect. Wide-flung tufts of soft gray fur, a snow-white rabbit tail, a small ragged scrap of sinewy flesh, still red. Take the broad way
0: at your own risk. Marvelous. <laughs> Jay, you got a question.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good prelude <laughs> to yes. Halloween right there. You know, that, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, like I have a lot of these. <laughs> yeah, well, you know... <laughs> Nature's a tough old lady, I'm telling yeah. you what. <laughs> Ghoulish does not bother nature yeah, for yeah, a second. Nope, does not. Um, so I'm interested to go back to, to some of the chronicles. Um, you said that these were written down in the 1860s. Did I hear that right, um, or was that the 1960s? Oh, well,
2: well, I'm talking about the, the earliest historical chronicles are 1841. And this is a book um, that is written by... Uh, one of these, really uh, a gung-ho um, immigrant who also had a sense of business, but he was very um, literary, um, and he wanted to attract immigrants. So he wrote a couple of books, and the earliest one has the earliest descriptions that were published of the bluff and the mounds, and actually the the land that belongs to to us now... Which had been then since 1876 planted in oats and then corn and soybeans, as you know, along with just about all the other crop um, fields around us, up until 17 years ago when we decided to, it had been a soybean field, to um, follow up with a government program that uh, CRP that in, in in you know it encouraged people to plant in prairie and this is only 10 acres actually of crops and it was really not worth the the whole business of of planting and harvesting so we took advantage of it and now that 10 years has has been gone and we just love the prairie so much and so we just enrich it in fact we've Extended our prairie um, into a ditch along Highway 99 this spring, and we're hoping it, that that will also become, you know, a larger, richer prairie. Ed,
1: um, yeah, I, uh, I'm wondering if uh, you know your your um, property is unique in addition to the national landmark, but but are there places? Uh, adjoining yours, You said I think earlier in the show that this is part of the string of mounds that are um, about two miles long. Um, what's be- Are there any of those left and are people just leaving them alone or what's what's being done with those properties? Do you have a sense of that?
2: I sure do. In fact we've been working with the Office of the State Archaeologist um, as well as with the Louisa County Conservation Group um, which I, I kind of uh, interned with. Um, and they are very keen on, and, and I sponsored a um, a lecture by a, a woman from the State Archaeologist's Office about what to do when you find, it, whether it's um, skeletal remains or you find something you think is a mound, um, how they want to keep track of everything, and um, you end up with Some support to not put something into cropland um, from the state. So, we are working on this National Historic Site um, and adding a trail that can go past the two mounds that previously were mowed and now, and we were, this is so exciting that they took us up on this, um, that they planted those original mounds um, in buffalo grass, which is a really short grass, so that you can um, still see the shape of the mounds, but it's not one that you have to mow with a big mower and be disrespectful, I guess, in that sense. So we have a trail going that they're putting in the back. So there are actually eight mounds um, along the bluff, and there are two that are adjacent to the two that are already visible that they are going to clear carefully. I mean you can't take roots out, but you can take the trees off and try to plant something like daylilies or something that will keep from eroding. And then our property has two more mounds, one we call the whale. It doesn't sound very respectful, but when you see snow on it, it it looks like this huge white whale and and an appointed one. So we're working uh, along with lots of other people there are, there are mounds that go to the, the east of us, that go to the northwest of us, that are actually hidden. But we know property owners who want to preserve them, and we're trying to publish whatever we can about ours so that it catches on. But I think there's a lot of fervor um, throughout the state of Iowa to preserve mounds.
1: Okay. And is there, is there a Native American, uh, or an American Indian tribe that is you know claiming that these are our ancestors and you need to talk to us.
2: Unfortunately no there are there's no DNA connection with what they have found in these 2,000 year old mounds. Um, there have been some actually the University of Illinois sponsored maybe 15 years ago an archaeological dig in the field next door to us for a village so not mounds but village and this was the Oneota, group. Um, and they, those Oniotas don't have um, a connection. But the Blackhawk, which I, I have spoken about, the Blackhawk tribe, so basically um, it's it's Keokuk, it's the Sac and Fox, and they do share DNA with um, the Tama Indian community. So if, if we were to do anything that had to do with the Blackhawk era, that would have a connection now. All of the relics that were found, the skeletal remains, were um, re reburied in unknown spots. You know, they they of course did that, and they, they still do that. Um, but there were no actual connecting tribes for for those.
0: Okay, we would like to thank our noted guests for the four hundred twenty fourth show, Dr. Nancy Priester Hayes, who has talked to us about her paper, Precarious Paradise toolsboro iowa the history buffs for today's show were jay swords and ed broders you can listen to roi as it's being broadcast on friday nights on kala um, hd2 88.5 fm and 106.1 fm in the quad city region at nine thirty p.m you can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on tunein.com put kala hd2 in the search box and look for roi Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put in KALA Radio in the search. Click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. ROI is being recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.